Hello and welcome to the New Wave Nerds podcast. I am your host, Brennan Sim, and joining me this time is actually not Shade Sim. It is my father, the one and only Tori Sim. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I can't complain. Pretty excited for this new segment where we're working out. So why don't you um, let people know what we're doing here? Yeah. Okay. So, well, I, I had the idea and, you know, I attribute a lot of your uh, nerddom and maybe even a little bit of shades in the way that uh, I forced you to be a nerd. <laughs> yes, uh, I agree. And part of that was making you watch things. Now, over the years, when we were, as you were growing up, there were some things that I'd want you to watch and you weren't interested. So now I figured this is my chance to make you do it. So, uh, you know, I like the idea, you know, of passing along the nerddom and kind of bringing up, you know, how all of this stuff is now and where it came from, right? Because there's a, a, a big storyline. And part of that, you know, was built off of, uh, you know, watching the documentary on um, Industrial Light and Magic, you know, and just the, the idea of how things got started and it, it's all happened within the past 30 years or so, 40, 50 years, I guess. I'm old. But I like the idea. I like the idea. So I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of a me showing you what I had to grow up with and then getting your impressions of it. I like it. And uh, I did forget to mention the name of this segment is My Father Before Me, which I think that's so cool. It's like, um, is it is it A New Hope where Luke is like, I'm a Jedi like my father before me? Or is it? I think Empire? we're in. Uh, we might actually be that might actually be Return of the Jedi really? at the end, at the end scene where he drops his lightsaber and he's telling Palpatine. You can't corrupt me. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. I think I think we're at the end. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so first up for the very first one, we've got Willow. That's right. All so right. it kind of leads into this because you know, uh, for context, uh, Return of the King or not Return of the King, uh, um, Return Bunch of the Jedi. Je- <laughs> Return of the Jedi uh, was released in '83, and of course, Willow is a Lucasfilm that was released in '88. Now, between 83 and 88, Lucasfilm had some of their other stuff going. They had, uh, well, they had Howard the Duck, which... Classic. I was just one I'll probably make you watch if you haven't already. You probably already watched that one, but uh, that'll be one we'll have to discuss sometime. They uh, also released a couple Ewok films. Um, I think, if I'm right, they were uh, straight to uh, like a, uh, a movie night thing, a network movie night, but I could be wrong on that one as well. But... I think what that leads us to is the idea of the, uh, you know, the the little person, right? Uh, he, of course, had um, uh, Warwick Davis got his start because his mom got a, a casting call for wanting people to be Ewoks. Um, and uh, he, I think he was 14. He was that No, young. Maybe, maybe it was 16. I'm not sure. I do know in my research... Let's see. I'll I'll tell you. So when Willow was out, he was 18. So, yeah, he was a little teenager when he was when he was first uh, one of the Ewoks. That's crazy. Side story. Obviously, you know, you guys talk uh, Star Wars enough, so we won't we won't do this. But I did see in one of the trivia things that originally Kenny Baker, who was R2-D2, was going to be Wicket, the main Ewok. uh, But he got sick. So that's why. Warwick Davis got the job, so I thought that was pretty cool. Nice. But anyway, so you got Warwick Davis coming along, and then I assume that 
I don't have any reference for this, but I assume that Lucas had the, uh, you know, the hobbits of the Lord of the Rings in mind and that sort of thing. And he wanted to do a, a fantasy story about it. So Willow came out in 88, uh, directed by Ron Howard. Of course, the Lucasfilm production had Warwick Davis was the main title character. We have uh, Val Kilmer, uh, Joanna, <laughs> Joanna Wally, who became Joanna Wally Kilmer right after this movie. Let's see who else was in there. Oh, Billy Barty. We will uh, talk about him when I make you watch the He-Man movie from the 80s. <laughs> uh, was, uh, was the main little, uh, uh, the wizard, the uh, the village wizard. Oh, I guess I should yeah. Say. Yeah, he, he's got that voice. You recognize him a little bit there. But. So, yeah, it, it uh, came out in 88. And I got to think that it was, uh, you know, Lucas just wanted to do a, a, another fantasy. Right. And, I, and I'm assuming that they had plans for a, a series, but it came top of mind, of course, because of the new uh, series that's coming out pretty soon on Disney Plus. So I want to make sure I made you watch it. Yeah. So at this point, I'm just going to I think we'll first, like we talked about earlier, just do a, a, my first thoughts and then we can delve into it a little bit. Um, this movie, I'm going to give it a solid 7.2. It is almost really good. Oh. There's like. There's like strings of scenes that are really good. And then there's like one scene where I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> and then it's a string of good scenes again. It is. You know, it's, it's, uh, you got to think of context too. You know, when we think about the 80s, um, like I said, and I haven't made you watch a lot of these, but eventually you'll see a pattern here. But we talk about the He Man movie that came out at that time. Uh, we talk about, well, even we talk about when we talk about the Ewok movies that were Lucas's things, um, we're going to see some, uh, I don't know, I don't want to be critical because they're obviously great fun, but it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, a simple kind of writing, but it's fun. Yeah. It gets the point across and it, it does it really well there. Like I said, like the dialogue mostly is good. <laughs> there are a few parts where I'm like, okay, this doesn't seem like a normal conversation. And given the time, I think the effects are actually fairly okay. There are some scenes where I'm like, this is just bad, even for the 80s. <laughs> but I, I think it's actually fairly good. Like I said, it's just, it's, there's a few critical moments where it's short of being good. Yes. Yeah. And you can, I think you can see, you know, I was just looking, it's story by George Lucas and has another writer, which I don't recognize a lot of other things that other writer did. But I think the main force that you'll see is this is also a Ron Howard film. You know, he was the director of it. So Lucas was the producer. If you watch some of the extra features on Willow, Lucas told Ron, you know, it's your movie. you got to do it. But, you know, anytime you've got a fantasy sci-fi movie, uh, you've got Lucas as your producer. I'm sure he was on hand all the time. Oh, sure. And, and controlling a lot of it. But, uh, you know, Ron Howard, of course, uh, Cocoon back in the day. Um well, his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, is doing a, a, some great stuff on The Mandalorian. Um, I didn't know that was his daughter. Yep, yeah, yeah. Huh. And so you can definitely see that it's got that kind of adventure quality that he was trying to do. Um, so you can see the other influences, I think, even though, like you say, it is it is a straightforward, uh, it's a straightforward adventure fantasy. You know, they wanted to talk about how the, the littlest a person can, you know, save the world, mm -hmm. right? Which is, uh, you know, is still a, a Tolkien concept, too. So I got to think that there was that kind of uh, uh, force behind it. Right. Um, one thing that, like, really <laughs> stuck out to me throughout the whole movie, and I, I realized that this was, it's 
more just indicative of the like the people the same way the hobbits are but the are they Nelwins? is that what they're called yes they're, you know they're an isolated society and so it's similar in that to the hobbit in that willow just wants to be left alone especially in the beginning but <laughs> because of that willow right at the beginning kind of turned me off as like a terrible father <laughs> right so he's with his kids playing in the woods they find this baby um, and his first instinct uh, is, let's just push it back down the river. Like, it's not none of our business. Let's leave this baby to the wilds and just let him go. It's definitely go. it's definitely a world-building thing. I mean, you think of, and, you know, obviously the references are there. You think of The Hobbit, like you mentioned, um, and, and The Shire and stuff. And those folk, you know, there was Bree and stuff. There was some co-mingling with the big people and stuff. I mean, that that's kind of the fun part of, of Bree and Lord of the Rings is that... Uh, they built the city with a porthole or a, a viewport to welcome in the humans and welcome in the hobbits, right? Right. Uh, so there was some co-mingling there, even though if you kind of look at it a little bit and, uh, um, you know, spoiler alert for a re- recent show that I'm not talking about, there was definitely some separation in the early years, right? Where there was, uh, you know, the, you're little, you're scared, right? Sure. That kind of thing. So you're keeping separate from everything. And, and I can see where they, they kind of took that to extremes. I will say... The difference, I think, maybe between Willow and you think of, uh, you know, Samwise Gamgee's dad, you know, who just wants to be a, a, a farmer is, you know, Willow, he is a farmer, but he wants to be more. That's why he's trying out to be the magician right. and stuff. So maybe there's a little bit of wanderlust there, but it, I mean, it never talks about leaving or adventuring. It just talks about he wants to do something a little bit different. Right. Kind of similar to Frodo in the sense that like he is just this guy who lives in the neighborhood. He's fairly well known, obviously for different reasons, but um, he's fine staying there, but he wants to go out and do more. I mean, right. in, in Frodo's case, it's because, you know, he grew up with Bilbo and it's, he's got the distant relatives that are like the, I can't remember the brandy bucks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Who are, who are always like the warriors and stuff. And Willow obviously goes for the whole thing and all he wants to be is a sorcerer. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, there's, there's a little bit to that. Um, but you know, he, he is just, it just kind of adventuring, but it's the trope, the official trope of the reluctant hero, right? right. You don't want to be a hero, you know, and, and that makes you the better hero for the job. Yeah. You know, so it, you can see where they're kind of playing that in that, that mythology type of thing where, I didn't want to do this, but it's in my lap, so I'm going to be the hero and do it, right? Especially, you know, you, you jump ahead a little bit. When you get to the point where they, they meet Val Kilmer or Mad Mardigan, and they have the opportunity to dump off the baby. And, you know, as soon as Willow notices there's some issue there, he goes back to save him, right? He could have left it well enough alone at that point. So, I mean, already there you got a little bit of that hero, like you mentioned at the beginning, is willing to push it down the stream yeah. and call it good. But, uh, you know, by that point, he's going back to save the baby, you know? Right. Yeah. You can see that he's at least got some morals and yeah, it's all right. It's a classic hero thing where he's like, he doesn't want to, but because those morals are so ingrained in him, he knows that it's not right for him to just leave and move on. He's got to go back and finish the job. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, move on to the next character, Mad Mart again. I mean, what do you think? We got our, our Han Solo again? I am. Um, first off, why is his name so, like, hard? When I was watching the movie, I kept, I was trying to think to myself about him when he wasn't on the scene. And I kept calling him as Morrigan. You remember this sort of, like, uh, gross guy from Star Wars Rebels? Right. Yep. Um, who I think is voiced by Poe's dad in Kung Fu Panda. Oh, that's cool. Not related. But, um <laughs> 
Yeah, his, his name, it does not roll off the tongue. And I think, like, for a main character, you should have something that rolls off the tongue. Well, and, you know, there, so that's one place where maybe the world building doesn't quite work. I mean, they he goes into world building in that, you know, like you said, they're called um, the Nelvin. But, of course, to the big people, they're called pecs, right? So he's trying to build a world or, or build a feeling out of that kind of thing. And you got your daikini or your big people, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But anybody with a name like that, he would have a short name. He would, he would have a nickname right off the bat. Oh, right? yeah. Mart. Yeah. Good old Marty. <laughs> There's Marty. Uh, they said, I like, three minutes into the movie, I was like, we need to have a peck counter. Because they said it, like, every sentence. It was kind of wild. It was. And, and you know, of course, that's, again, another, it's another indicator, right? At the beginning, our, our hero, Mad Martigan or whatever, is calling him peck, which obviously I think is meant to be a derivative term or, or derisive term for the for the little folk or whatever. But, right. uh, you know, by the end, of course, he's never using that word anymore. But you see that. And I think, again, you're trying to world build a little bit there with that kind of thing so that you can separate it out. Yeah. Through that, you definitely understand that the Nelwyn are seen kind of like second class citizens. Like they're not up to anything. They're just there to farm and right. stay out of the way. They just yep. kind of. Yeah, I, I like that. It was nice. It was a good a good bit of environmental storytelling, especially uh, like with the the tone <laughs> that they were, I don't know if they chose to do that or if they were specifically instructed to use that tone, but it felt so like with such disgust and disdain. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Is this like, should I feel okay about them saying this every three minutes or is this like a curse word? <laughs> it's definitely, and, and like I say, and they, you know, you're trying to build that out. And then of course the people that are uh, dismissive to him are the the bad guys or right. you know you got the the red bearded dude now i can't think his name eric yeah there you go a normal name uh but he is the one that uh, you know he calls him a peck you know a couple times too and stuff and then eventually everybody gains their respect for him it's the whole uh you know you bow to no one at the end of return of the king right? exactly, by the yeah. end of the movie he's the hero and obviously if you've seen the trailers for the show it's the same thing they're coming in to find the great wizard willow Uffgood, you know and stuff so um, Mad Mardigan, though, I, I kind of like him. I think I mostly like him. But again, there are a few scenes where I was like, it's not even his fault. But I was like, the dialogue here is just so bad oh, yeah. that I couldn't like. But more, mostly, he, I thought his uh, role was fine. Like, he played the part he was supposed to play very good. Some of the swordplay was choreographed badly, but... Well, they were trying to go over the top with the swashbucklerness, and yeah. I think it gets ruined at the end. I, I hate the sword that he gets, that he gets from that guy where... That is not a... Value, that. That's not a good way to hold a sword. Yeah, that one is at the end. I mean, I know he picked up his friend's weapon, you know, and that's supposed to be symbolic, but that's a whole different kind of training there. I mean, it's like a big bladed fist weapon. I don't know. Well, yeah, and I, I would think that, like, it wouldn't be effective at all. Because just the angle that you're holding it at, it wouldn't make any sense. Plus it's, it's a whole different kind of training, yes. Yeah, it's so long. It just It's just ungodly. I do. So I had the action figures, of course, back in the day. They, they tried to do. Of course they did because, you know, it's Lucas and he made all the money off the action figures with uh, Star Wars, of course. Uh, or he knew how to market that deal, merchandise that deal and stuff. So they tried to do action figures with these. Of course, it didn't take off. Just like the movie. Never got a sequel or anything. But uh you know, I remember having those guys and the guy, the bad guy with the the skull face and stuff. And <sighs> Who? Why did nobody stop and say this helmet looks stupid? <laughs> I mean, it just 
the, the skull is bad enough, but then it's got like those weird swirly things that come out the side. Yeah, it's like dog ears or something. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't know. make any sense. You'd, you'd think in a fight they would it would capture a sword. You barely dodge, and then you're capturing the sword. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, it was. But it was pretty good. And of course, then we get um, again. I forget her name, but the uh, Joanna Wally is the actress's name. Um, Sorsha. Sorsha. Yeah, the the daughter or whatever who get, who turns from evil to good. Basically, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, of course, uh, there's a little, it's a little questionable whether she does that because Mad Mardigan had his love potion or whatever. The, right. The, but, but I don't know. But, it, you know, it's it's pretty fun. So, um, but you got to have the good, you know, the female character coming in and switching sides. And then I think that she has some good um, drama, too, because she's going up against her mom. Right. You know, and stuff. So. Yeah, which I, I don't think they nearly played that up enough. And, well, the whole movie, I think the um, there was a line relatively, like, right after she, right before she uh, switched sides, where whoever is with the queen is like, you trust her to do that? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I trust her more than you. But it was like, that guy definitely knew that she's, like, power hungry. I feel like that would have been fun to play up if it was like she's a little Machiavellian, yeah. not necessarily a good guy. Yeah. Add a little bit more uh, dynamic to the character. Yeah, she does have a quick turn over to the good side. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that it, it worked out pretty good. Now, like you say, the sword play, I mean, obviously she was a good swordsman too. But, the you know, you can tell with, well, like I say, with Val Kilmer that he definitely had some training because they wanted to make it like a swashbuckling thing. I think that you get the, uh, again, George Lucas going back to his, Indiana Jones stuff, wanting to do a swashbuckling type of thing, you know, and, and trying to have a fancy swordman, you know, and stuff. But I thought I thought it was pretty good. Now, of course, they they tried to do the epic battle too with all the all the uh, bad guys and stuff. But uh, yeah, those uh, what was the uh, it was it's kind of fun that one scene where they're fortifying the uh, castle in the middle there. They run well. It's when they escape and they're going in and fortifying that castle. And then of course you got the trolls. Climbing yeah. around and and here we get our big uh, special effects battle, right? With the trolls climbing on the wall and <laughs> that whole end scene, it was so anti Well, the whole end battle, I should say, was so anticlimactic. Like I got to the, I got to it, and I was like, "This is the end," because it it didn't feel epic. Like it didn't really feel like a final battle. I don't know. You mean before or after they're turned into pigs? <laughs> oh, I forgot that they got turned into pigs. That's another, that was one of the issues where I was like, this movie's, <laughs> the the part that I think was worse than them being turned into pigs was the part where he reverts the um, other sorceress, Razelle or something, into right. a, a woman. And she's like, bring in the army. And like <laughs> the, the scene is just one pig walking in and her reverting it. It's like, are these pigs queuing up outside? Well, yeah. They're, they, well, they're, they're partial people. They're just because they're pigs doesn't mean they don't know how to line up. I don't know. I just imagined like a line of pigs patiently <laughs> waiting all the way around the castle. <laughs> oh, man. Well, and, and so then you got the, what, did they just stop watching? Did the guards stop looking outside? Because the whole point of it is the surprise that, oh, they're still there. Well, wouldn't you see all these Pigs lining up and not coming yeah. out of the... Yeah. And then when they got to their final plan, like, they didn't notice the fact that there were tents and <laughs> now there's no tents. They didn't notice people digging holes. No. Now, I will have to say, so that was one of the main points that I wanted to bring up. And, and it's in the ILM documentary and stuff, and I was just watching some stuff on it. But that whole scene of Willow changing um, 
Rizelle back into her normal form where they're shifting through forms. That's a that's pretty exciting the way they did that because that is the first and they actually named it because this is the first time they did something like that where they named it the morphing, right? So the morphing on that was a brand new technology, computer-based graphics and that sort of thing. They didn't know when 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 they were planning out that scene, the, the normal way that you would do it is you would have um, puppets that would have enough of an effect that they can change. And then you would cut and then you'd grab another puppet and then you'd cut and you'd go back and forth, right? So you'd see a slight change and then you'd have to go back. Well, Ron Howard, you know, he says I, he in the documentary, I, I heard he says, well, maybe I can take credit because I told him, I said, I wish we didn't have to do that. That was the extent of my addition to it. But what they did, you know, is they, this is the first time of really digitizing that film and using the computer to get in there and make that morphing technique. Now, of course, this was the first time they used it. Well, that exact technology went straight into Terminator 2. So they because they did that, they were able to do all the effects with Terminator 2, which, of course, I think won Oscars or something for the special effects. But it's just neat to see them talking about it. So if you if you watch the documentary and stuff, it's neat to see them talking about how it just came down to, well, we told them we could do it, so then we had to do it, right? right. And that's a lot of the ILM stuff. And like I said, I'm a little high on that because I, I just recently watched that documentary. It's real cool how they did it. But it's one of them things where we said, well, we think we can do it. And then they said, okay, let's do it. And then we did it. You know, and it's real neat. I mean, it's granted there's still a lot of practical effects there because they've got shots of this weird uh, goat puppet thing that stands <laughs> up and his head extends to turn into the, yeah. you know, or <laughs> whatever that is. And that sort of thing. And I know they said at one point they couldn't bring in a live tiger. So they had to go out and shoot film of the tiger. And then they had an actress who they had to make move her head so they could morph it and stuff. But I don't know. It, it's pretty neat. That alone is one of the main contributions of this movie, you know, just because it forced that forced that innovation. Right. right. And, and you know, you see that. So they're talking about in the documentary that technology went straight from there into like I said Terminator 2 it goes into um Indiana Jones at the end where the guy is, drinks from the wrong oh, and, yeah. and he, they use that exact technology to morph that you know and, and do that kind of stuff so that's a neat contribution something that you get out of these early films is you get to see how they did all that kind of right stuff. and that effect it, that is one thing that even like with my you know modern sensibilities of graphics and like I could even I could tell that I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Like, it doesn't look very good, but it's actually it's really cool that they're doing it. And you could tell that it was something fairly new. Well, to think that nowadays it would involve a couple people or probably teams of people sitting in front of a computer and rendering each frame, you know, and doing it. And it would look great. You know, it looks so realistic nowadays. But to think that the way they did that is they had to take this shot to this shot. And then they had a weird looking puppet thing. And then, uh, so they had a shot of a weird looking puppet thing. And then they had a shot of that weird looking puppet thing, morphing computerized into another thing. And then they had another weird looking puppet, thing, you know, and stuff. But it's just, you know, to, to think that that idea then becomes the basis for everything from that going forward. Right. You know, obviously morphing, they're talking about how they kind of overused it after that, but you know, ILM invented it and being able to use it and then being able to, to offer that kind of thing. that I mean, that's why you see ILM on every big thing. I don't know. Have you ever seen the Abyss? I don't think so. The next big use of that morphing technology was the Abyss. The, the, the quick premise is they're underwater, deep in a trench or deep deep in the ocean. That's a, And uh, there's, spoiler alert, there's some other entity down there. I won't say what it is. Um, 
But there's a, you know, it's it. They do the same kind of thing with water, where they bring out this thing of water and it's got a face on it and stuff. And That's they, cool. They use that same graphics technology for that at the time, and that was a James Cameron film. So of course, you go from that to Terminator Two, you know, because he knew he wanted to use that in that that liquid metal type of thing. So. Yeah, and I mean Terminator Two looked great. Yeah, like, well, like I say, I mean, they're just uh, jump. that one was a huge. I, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it it was the Oscars, right? It, for special effects, I think so. Yeah. If not, it should have. <laughs> I don't know how it wouldn't have. Yeah, that scene. Not to just completely go back, but I've been thinking about this for 24 hours straight. <laughs> that scene where, um, right after or right before, when they're trying to figure out a plan, has the best line in the whole movie. Because they're all like trying to figure out, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to surprise them? And Willow just goes, you know, we've got a lot of gophers back home. <laughs> and then everybody's like, what are you talking about? And well, then, then he says, I have a plan. Why wouldn't you start with, I have a plan, and then be like, we have gophers back home? Well, I mean, obviously, there's a, he's thinking out loud, right? <laughs> I mean, you got to have the rustic hero come up with the solution. <laughs> so it was just out of, it was so out of nowhere. It was like quiet for a second. And then Willow goes, <laughs> it just goes right into it. It was so good. Oh, yeah, man. it's you know, and and of course, then you got your big battle scene, and you got your uh, end wizard fight. Uh, you know, competing with Lord of the Rings for wizard battles. I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fantastic. Another showcase of old people just flying around. <laughs> oh man, it seems like that that you got to wonder these these old distinguished actors just flinging stuff around on the set with. <laughs> On the blue screen. My favorite part is when they're like locked in the middle and then the good witch, wizard, sorcerer, whatever, just like punches her in the face. Well, yes. I mean, obviously she's out of mana. She used up all her spell slots. But yeah, honestly, that that end, the end was, um, I still don't quite know if I understand what happened with Bav Morda. I assume whatever, like when she got struck by lightning, she was like, her essence was merged with whatever tonic or potion she'd used to try and kill the baby. <laughs> and there, then she like evaporated. There's but... gotta be some kind of residual. I mean, we can probably chalk it up to PG 13 as well, or, or no, let's see 88. Yeah. 88 would have been PG 13. I mean, of course you got to have the big finale where, where our big bad guy just goes away and we know it's gone. Right. right. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. It It is kind of, it almost is, it almost feels like, oh, we got to finish it now. So what are we going to do? Right. right? But, uh, you know, again, to give uh, Willow his rustic uh, opportunity to do something to distract her by making the baby disappear, which that baby wouldn't have sat there quiet when he when he got <laughs> no. moved off to the other side. But, <laughs> that baby would have freaked out. What about the baby? <laughs> One thing I don't understand is there was no, like, backstory or reason given for to explain why this baby's powerful and why it has magic and why it can communicate with like the queen of brownies or whatever and decide that she likes Willow. Well, is this uh this is a prophecy thing, right? I mean, that was the reason that the, uh, uh, I got to admit, I haven't watched it for a solid year now, but at the beginning, I mean, the evil queen, isn't she just uh, collecting all the newborn girls or something? I mean, so that's the thing, right? There's a prophecy out there and like, you know, it's kind of a, uh, you think about the Harry Potter, right? There's the prophecy of the, um, you know, the chosen one or the 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 uh, the child, right? Well, that in the book, spoiler alert, don't they kind of point out that it could be Harry, could be Neville, based right. off of different things? Yeah. Well, 
So, I mean, in that same tone, you feel like this is obviously this queen is doing whatever she can to make sure that the prophecy doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, or that kind of thing. But, yeah. So there, it's kind of nebulous. They don't have to say because she's the MacGuffin. You know, she's right. the thing, right? It's And yeah, I suppose, you know, I should just be able to take it for granted because it's a high fantasy world where people use magic in the first place. But um, that is one thing I, I like the way that uh, Harry Potter did it better because of that specific reason where it was like Voldemort chose Harry. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, you have the act of his mother giving herself over, which in like Harry... You're exactly right. Could have just been a regular guy, but it was this chain of events that led him to being the chosen one. Right. Whereas yeah. Alora Dannon, that's her name, um, is just a baby. <laughs> well, she's the baby, obviously. No, yeah. Cute and, baby. But it is, uh, you know, that's the hand wavy thing where we've got to, you know, we, you know, again, it's the well, the reluctant hero. He's just out there getting rid of a baby, but then it turns out it's the chosen one. You know, it's the chosen one theory that's out there. You know, there's always got to be that that one person who's going to do everything. Mm. And I'm curious, you know, um, it's in the trailer, so I don't feel this much of a spoiler, but that Joanna Wally is going to be in, uh, she's no longer Joanna Wally Kilmer, incidentally, is going to be in the the series coming up. So I wonder what they're going to do, whether they're going to bring in, I thought that there was a mention of a Laura Dannon or something in the, in the trailer, but I could be wrong on that because none of the uh, actors and, and stuff that look like they're in the adventure in the show you know, look like they're going to be an older version of this baby. So I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, well, one of them is the person who played Flash Thompson. That's all I know. So I okay. I, don't I think <laughs> I think another one is the girl on Solo, where you know at the end where the it's got. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's got those distinctive freckles and that hair. So I think it's her, but I didn't look it up. She I thought I, I thought I noticed it's that same girl. You know, and stuff. yeah. But, so. You know, obviously, and and you know, I remember I remember watching Solo and thinking, "What's the big deal?" I don't even know who this person is, but they kind of made it a big deal. Well, it's the same thing, you know. So I think that that's kind of how you recognize her. But yeah, I think that's her. Yeah, Carly yeah. Carly Morgenthau. She was in Falcon and Winter Soldier too. Oh, okay, I yeah, like her. In the, that. that she's the bad lady, right? Yes, or or under or misunderstood. I don't. You know, I'll go back and watch Falcon and Winter Soldier sometime. I think misunderstood is justified. I there mean, she's, yeah, it was, I, I, um, I did like, I actually liked her in that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the series is looking pretty good. So let me ask you, I mean, does the watching the movie make you more excited or less excited for the series coming up? Um, it does make me more excited. And I think honestly, anything would have made me more excited. Cause I didn't, I forgot the TV serial was coming out. <laughs> But no, like I, I do like the setting and I like the universe. And so despite the fact that there are some problems I have with the movie, the story was such that I am actually, I do like the universe. Like I would love to see more. And hopefully some of those issues I had with the movie are going to be negated in this partially because, I mean, the graphics are better. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You're, you're world building and now you can, you can afford to make it more epic. Right. right. Or you can it, because you can do things nowadays that make your film more epic on a on a reduced budget a relatively reduced budget, you know, because we just got the technology to do that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm curious what the story is going to be and, and that sort of thing. But I think it's I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I also do, too. I am like I like, you know, I just said I'm pretty excited. I think I am going to watch it Once which it's done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so give me like, you know, um, a couple months. But <laughs> I am. I think I don't. I think if they don't add a Laura Dannon in, it's gonna be weird. 
because I think it just makes sense for her to be involved. I don't, obviously I don't know how they would do it because I don't know the story that well or the world all that much. I just watched it for the first time yesterday, but um, if it's not in there, I feel like it's just weird because they set her up as this sort of figure right. in the first movie and that if she weren't there, it would just be awkward. Well, she's the answer, right? I mean, she's supposed to save the world or, or you know, bring the world into a new realm or, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's yeah. the chosen one thing. So if she didn't do that, then that's the story. Or if she did and this is just the next adventure for Willow, right. you know, then that might be the story too. So I could see where they could go either way. But I can't imagine if Willow's still around, I can't imagine they're going to try to do some... Uh, I mean, it's possible in, in this universe that, the, you know, the little guys live forever kind of thing. Uh, they got the elf lifespan, so maybe they're time jumping a ton, too. Right. But, like I said, we got, you know, in the trailer, we've got Joanna Wally in there looking to be age appropriate to when the movie was filmed in 88, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm assuming they're just going to do that kind of jump where it's, a you know, 30 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. Math is hard. Yeah, 30 years or so. And then... At that point, then I guess that means that Alora Dannon's about 30, right? Right. So, I don't know. So uh, Warwick Davis, I forgot to mention this. So we've seen him quite a bit. Obviously, he took off after this. I think he's probably one of the most, you know, when you talk about little people, little people actors, I know that he, at the time when they were filming this movie, so, you know, we talk about after the movie, at the time they're done, there were no... Um, you know, and uh, uh, Ron Howard talks about in this little documentary extra feature I watch, there is no source for finding the little people actors, right? And eventually I'm going to make you watch another movie called Time Bandits that was a whole cast of little people and stuff, and that was a fun one. Uh, kind of interesting. That one, that one um, I might wait to, you might have to watch that one after you can get drunk because sometimes it takes that um, but anyway, so he talks about how there's no real way to, there's no representation, right? And not, and I don't mean representation in the movies, but I mean, uh, managers or anything like that, or any way to put out a casting call. It's very difficult at the time. And shortly after this is when, uh, Warwick Davis went off and, and he created a, a studio. I think he named it Willow management company or something just for the sole purpose of helping out the, you know, the little, little people actors, you know, right. and stuff like that. And I, I'm sure I'm saying that insensitively, but you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. helping out actors like that, that don't have that kind of management and good management, because at the time, you know, you go back a little bit and they were just played up for humor and, you know, right. Then that kind of thing. So I think that after this movie, he was able to take this and and move on and do a lot of few a lot of things with that kind of that kind of cachet and stuff. I mean, we well we've seen him a ton. I mean, you, obviously he's in Harry Potter. He's two different characters in Harry Potter. Did you know that? Because he is, is uh, Flitwick, the the teacher. Oh, I forgot he was Flitwick. And then of course he's the goblin yeah. in charge of the bank. Um, let's see where else have we seen him? Uh, I just I just realized this. Did you ever watch? The movie of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with Martin Freeman. I love that movie. <laughs> okay. Warwick Davis is the robot. He is? Yeah. Oh, the so body. The, the voice is Alan Rickman, of course, from Harry Potter. But he he was the body for it. And That's stuff. hilarious. So I thought that was fun. Uh, but, of course, and then at one point I know uh, he was on a, a couple series, and he, he even had his own series out that was kind of a uh, – a mockumentary on a little person actor and and that kind of thing. It was kind of fun and aging at that point he was aging. Cause it was within the past, uh, you know, I don't know, probably 
six, seven years, I think it was. But And you, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, you got to think like in the past, little people were just used for comedic effect or whatever, but something like, well, partially Jedi, <laughs> yeah. but mostly through things like Willow, where it's like a hero who's little and no, not the Hobbit because they're regular sized people. I forgot. But um, I mean, it paved the way for something like Game of Thrones, where you can have somebody take Peter Dinklage seriously. And right. obviously, I mean, he's one of the best characters in that show. Right. And yeah. one of the most talented actors, I think. Yeah. Around. Yeah. I mean, and, well, he won the Emmy, right, for it. I, right. Think, I think you won an Emmy or two for it. But yeah, to be able to take that role and make it dramatic and, and that sort of thing, I think it lends itself to this pop it up. You got to wonder, and I was thinking about it the other day after I uh, told you to watch this one. I, you got to wonder in the future whether we're going to get a remake of Lord of the Rings with Little People's Hobbits. Right. You know, or something along those lines. Because I know at the time, I think there was some grumblings about that, that, you know, uh, Peter didn't, uh, Peter Jackson didn't want to bring in or, or, or just cast it differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Which... Obviously, it worked out, and it's kind of amazing all the effects they did in order to make the Hobbits look the way they did in the movie. But you can see an argument for maybe just the the biology of that size of person. They would have worked in the movie, too, right? It right. would have worked that way, too, I think. Um, I really hope they don't do that. <laughs> well, because I think um, if they do more stuff, like obviously they're doing Rings of Power and... Um, I mean, they're they're planning on doing a bunch of stuff. I know that the uh, Embracer group, who actually just bought the rights not that long ago, uh, they're planning on doing a bunch of movies. So I would assume that they're going to do something with Hobbits involved, and that would be cool to have little people, because that just makes sense. You're right. I hope they don't try and just remake the original Lord of the Rings, because I think that is, like, the most perfect trilogy <laughs> of oh, yeah. all time. It's, like, the only one that is uh, consistently awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that's the, you know, and, and there's a reason, and I know you're not watching it yet cause you can't binge it, but there's a reason rings of power took, takes the look that it does because the movie Peter Jackson did it right. You know, he built the world, he built the visual design of the world and it's working. I mean, like I said, there's, and this isn't a spoiler cause it's in the, you know, all the materials, but there's hobbits in rings of power and they're, you know, just, doing the same thing where they're just normal people or normal. No, I shouldn't say normal, uh, regular sized actors, right? Maybe not regular size. You get what average, I'm saying. Average sized people, average sized people. <laughs> I like that one better that are, um, yeah. And, and they're doing the same thing now in that series. Well, never mind. I don't want to do any spoiling. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you got to wonder whether that is, you know, the thing, but I think that having a movie like this, or like I said, time bandits, is going to be another one that was done. I think it was around the same time. It might've been a little bit before this one, uh, but you know, it, it definitely um, opened up that kind of activity. Eventually, like I say, I mean, even though you think of elf, you, we got Peter Dinklage and elf, mm-hmm. maybe that was still comedic effect, but then again, the whole movie was done for comedic. Right. Effect, you know? Yeah. So, and I got to think, and I, of course we don't know Peter Dinklage personally. It'd be cool if we did, but I got to think that he took that knowing that was the role, but not because it was exploiting him. Right. You know, like they used to be, you know, but you think of it, you know, the exploitation. That was the issue. I think that Warwick Davis was able to build that whole, uh, you know, that whole management company around that idea that we want to make sure we're not being exploited. We're used like normal actors. Right. You know, and yeah, to that point, I mean, in Elf, you know, they're obviously making fun of his size, you know, your mean little Elf, right. but it's not derogatory. No. You know, it's and it's not like he's 
playing that sort of imp, impish little right. devil guy. So while they are making fun of his size, it, you're right. It's not like he's being exploited. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, like I say, I really, and that's one of the things that, you know, you go back to it. And of course, the reason I loved Willow back in the day, I mean, like I said, um, I didn't mention it. I remember, so let's see, 88, I would have been 13 years old. And I remember going to the movie theaters with dad and my sister, you know, and going to it. And my sister, who at the time would have been 10, loved every movie she's ever been in. (laughs) Every every movie she came out of, that was her favorite movie ever. And that was a thing. And I kind of made fun of her, you know, mercilessly as her big brother for a while. I distinctly remember coming out of Willow and she was not very excited about it. She didn't think it was the best movie ever, like every other movie at the time. Now, she since then has gone back and said that she enjoyed the movie and stuff. But it, it, it was a different kind of movie for the time when you talk about, you know, for a 10 year old, she would have been 10. You think about those trolls at that castle in the middle segment, you know, and then, of course, the thing turning into a brain and then a giant two-headed monster you know that 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 is a little scary maybe for that so maybe that's why it it didn't quite pan out the way it was you know right but you can see from the visual style how you could take the leak from this and then realize that fantasy movies at this point started to you know get a little bit more realist more realistic and serious i mean we got magic flying around but yet it's still dirty right right mad martigan's a dirty man you know hanging out in this and and he's the um the good guy but he was locked up you know, for doing bad things, right? And that kind of thing. And and you see where that's kind of a thing. Whereas before that, if you think of fantasy movies, we think of the super, you know, Conan hero, right? And that kind of type. So it, it was a different, I feel like this is where you start to see that kind of switch over to fantasy being fantastical and being medieval. Right. You know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think it was a, I think it was an important movie to, to make you watch. So I, yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> it was, I certainly had fun watching it. There are a few times that ah, I went over it, <laughs> but no, yeah, I like it. I liked it, honestly. Um, yeah. All right. Excellent. I think that'll about wrap us up. I think so. I think, yeah. So I think the the plan for this is where we keep on making you watch the movies. I, I've been preparing a list and I'm super excited for uh, all the stuff I'm going to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know how to feel about that, but I will. I'm nervous now. All right. <laughs> I think we will. We'll just catch you next time. That stupid two-headed thing.